take me to the British Consul? There isn't one. Your world's beyond British jurisdiction. How uncivilised. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Beasts from NarniaWeb.com, where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis and keep a watchful eye on the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. Welcome aboard, everyone. I'm Glumpuddle. And I'm Jim Fan. And I'm the reason you're all here. Prince <laughs> No, that's not Till Silver Chair, actually. <laughs> oh, that's true. Uh, Wrong book. We'll, we'll Wrong get book. there. We'll get to BBC Silver Chair pretty soon. But we are gathered here today to take a fresh look at BBC's television miniseries adaptation of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I'm pretty darn sure this is the first time I've watched these in over 10 years, meaning I haven't watched these since the Walden movie came out. Is that the case with you guys? I would say that's pretty accurate. I might have watched them once, but it's been at least six years. Probably closer to 20 years ago for me. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been over a decade of, a decade since we saw this, and also, you know, a decade of getting the Walden version kind of in our heads. Um, I've watched the Walden version several times for analysis purposes. (laughs) That's why I can probably count it on one hand. I can count it on one finger. <laughs> I, th- I was about to say, I think, really, and you've only seen it one time. To- the Walden That's all version I one- needed. That's all I needed. I, and I remember um, when I, for you, I think you were really fresh out of the theater and started texting me. And one of the first things you said about the Walden version was BBC version was way better. Yes. Wow. So this is an opportunity, having seen the Walden version, to go back and revisit the BBC version. And I'll tell you that start- starting off revisiting this, I thought... And whatever, I'll have my list of critiques like I always do. But I started off, I thought, this is so nice. I'm watching the BBC Voyage and not the Walden Voyage. This is like, this is going to be a pleasant experience this way. All three of us, at this point anyway, for all you listeners, reminder, if you're new to the podcast, we the three of us here dislike the Walden version quite a lot. But if you disagree, to please... To varying degrees. Yes, varying please tell degrees. us. Is it fair to say, though, that it would not just be a purely pleasurable experience just rewatching it just for the purpose of discussing it again because for this it's like oh this is kind of nice well we will get into that um so yeah first time i've seen this uh rewatch this since you know that i have the walden version very much in my head and it's also um and this kind of brings us to the central uh, uh, pr- idea behind the approach we're taking to these discussions uh it's my first time really watching these episodically which is the way they're intent they were intended to be viewed so we have only watched episode one at this point. You're looking a little nervous, really. And is that true? You've only watched episode one at this point, right? <laughs> oh, whatever. no, I did. And then okay. I, uh, okay. I did watch one little clip from the fourth episode. And I, I actually spoilers. Cheated. I actually cheated on this. And we can get into this. But I actually started with the very ending of Prince Caspian. Okay, I was going to ask you about that. I started, I thought, no, I'm gonna, I don't care if this is against the rules. I didn't, I'm not even going to ask. I'm going to watch the very ending of Prince Caspian Part 2. And it was a good thing you did, I guess. Yeah. 
the ending of the Prince Caspian is the opening scene of the book with the picture in the bedroom and introduction of Eustace and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's only, I think most people view these, like we've talked about, like Jim and I have recorded conversations about wardrobe and Caspian BBC adaptations. And most people view these just because it's the world we're in. We, we binge it. You know, we think of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader BBC as, you know, a, a two hour adaptation of Voyage of the Dawn Treader, but it's that's not really fair. It's a four episode adaptation of Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And so part of the experiment of revisiting these is what if we watch these one episode at a time and viewed them the way they were originally meant to be viewed. So in this episode, we'll be talking just about episode one and just standalone episode as much as possible. How does it work just as an episode one? But I know a lot of our listeners are excited. We're finally getting to these. Uh, in the Talking Beast Facebook group, Laura said, the BBC series was my whole childhood. I'm so glad you're covering them. <laughs> That's awesome. I did a poll recently in the Talking Bees Facebook group that said that it indicated a it's I'm sure it's going to change by the time this episode goes up, but I think well over 80% of listeners say that the BBC version of Don Shredder is better than the Walden version. Now that said, we're going to do our best to not constantly be comparing this to the Walden version just cuz I just think it's only fair to give this BBC version its due. The Walden versions had plenty of of discussion. Let's this is our chance to give the BBC version its due. But we're going to try to save a lot of it for the very end. So we will compare them, but you'll have to wait till the very end. Well, and they really are <laughs> apples and oranges, aren't they? Because they're yeah. different different audiences, different formats, different decades. That's true. But that said, it's interesting. Sorry, I'm, I'm breaking the rule already. But it's interesting <laughs> that the, 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 like the, line, the BBC line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, is three hours. So quite a bit longer than the Walden version. The Prince Caspian BBC is far shorter than Walden. Whereas Don Treader, BBC, and Walden are about the same. So it mm-hmm. makes the comparisons a little more interesting. But we'll try to save those comparisons for the end as much as possible. Yeah. And I, th- I think the thing that makes it a little bit easier potentially to not compare is that, as we'll get into very quickly in this first episode, there's a point where the Walden version very quickly deviates very, very, very much from the book um, and kind of changes the whole trajectory. So even though there's a lot of familiar scenes and things that happen, the underlying tone is very different quite early mm-hmm. on. Um, so right. in a sense, it's almost easier to separate them because at the point you get to the Lone Islands, it just whoop, massive, right, right. massive, massive difference and you can't even compare them anymore. That's where it starts going off the rails. And we'll get into a little bit of that today, I'm sure. So this opening scene, now really, and you talked about how you, you know you... When you decided to go back and rewatch the end of BBC Prince Caspian, did you do that because you remembered that they had the picture in the bedroom? No, I started off with Voids of the Dawn Treader, and uh, I thought, I can't do this. And I just, and I instantly <laughs> remembered that that's how the Dawn Treader episode one starts off. And so okay. then I just went back. Interestingly, so this is one of my frustrations with Dawn Treader. When I first found these, they were in a library uh, in my hometown. And so I think. For some reason, Prince Caspian was checked out or something. So I actually missed the whole entrance. I, so even as uh, a kid, I watched Prince Caspian after. So I missed that whole entrance. I thought, this is strange. I didn't fully understand what they had done. I thought, this is a really truncated version of the opening of Don Treader. Well, you see, there's a picture and they're in it. Boom. Yeah, boom. That's how it does. <laughs> Lucy, Edward, how wonderful to have you back in Narnia. You're so grown up. You look just the same. <laughs> Take me home. I don't like it. I'm afraid there's no going back. Rhinel! Yes, Your Majesty. Bring spiced wine for Queen Lucy and King Edmund. Queen? King? King of what? Of Narnia, sire. 
Hurry, Reinhardt. The Majesty's are wet through and cold. Of course. Well, I don't want spiced wine. Bring me plum trees, vitaminized nerve tonic. But only if it's made with distilled water. I never drink plain water from the tap. Sorry? Spiced wine. So in this episode, just to recap it quick for people that haven't seen it in a while. So it obviously starts with, it skips the picture of the bedroom and they just, boom, they're in the water. Caspian jumps off the ship and rescues them. They're on board the Dawn Treader. They reach the Lone Islands. Uh, Creepy Caspian, Chief, boom, appears. Boom, there he is. Uh, <laughs> Caspian, you know, uh, free abolishes the slave trade. And then we have a very, very quick hard cut cliffhanger ending to the storm. So this covers the, the beginning of the story up until they leave the Lone Islands. So uh, the first thing, we've got kind of our list here um, of thing in front of us, the things that kind of stood out to us. The first uh, big change in the book that I noticed is that when Caspian is explaining the reason for the voyage, um, the reason the Seven Lords left Narnia is different. Um, in the book... The Seven Lords left Narnia because, I mean, it's a little vague, but Miraz just sends them off to go explore the East, and as he hoped, they never came back because they could have, they potentially had a right to the throne. And here... After my father was murdered by the wicked King Miraz, Seven Lords of Narnia were banished for no other reason than that they'd been loyal to my father, their old king. Seven missing lords. Where might they be? I'm just, I'll just mention it. The Walden version changed it too. And I just want to say, I actually think this is an improvement over the book. Um, oh. I think it I think it makes more sense for a couple of reasons. First off, just the, wait, Miraz's plan is, oh, go explore the East and hopefully they won't come back. Oh, it's a good thing they didn't. I think it makes more sense if it's they're fleeing Miraz because he's a bad guy and they're, yeah. and they're they're rivals to the throne. And I also think what really quickly, I also think Caspian, his sense of duty and obligation to go retrieve them makes more sense if they fled not of their not of their own free will, but because Miraz banished them or was a threat to them. So it makes his sense of duty more powerful when you do it that way. It also more easily explains why they never came back. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, as opposed to like, hey, remember me, Burn? I I've married this girl here on the Lone Islands, and I mean, everything there is nice. I don't know where my friends are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that definitely yeah. jumped out at me. Yeah. I th- and like I agree that honestly, I think I've had that explanation in my head for so long that I, kind of I got the book explanation. <laughs> I read the book and then I I'm like, oh yeah, I guess it was a little bit different in the book no honestly Um, i've read the book more recently than i've seen either of the films or tv but i still kind of had the tv one in my head like oh yeah they just they left because they're you know miraz didn't like them which we know he didn't like them because they were close to yeah well i think it speaks to how much the seven lords are a macguffin in that it's really about sailing into the unknown perhaps aslan's country and the seven lords is just kind of the reason for being here in the first place but it's not really what the book is about Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the fact that it was, we, we all sometimes forget, wait, what, why exactly did the Lords disappear is not that surprising. Even in the book, it's just the thing, you know, I, like I, I know going to the moon, there were a lot of political reasons to go to the moon and all that, but it was pretty cool that we got to go to the moon. Um, so it's the details versus the reason we really want to go. I will say that one of my critiques with the BBC is, I don't know, there's something stiff about the script and some of the editing it it just feels sure 
sort of, and I'm, I, I'm just looking at it for, you know, what it is. It's, I mean, I can tell on, in some ways, like these episodes, what I love about them is that you can tell there's aspects that are made with just a lot of heart uh, by actors who really, like, I love Warwick Davis in this. You can tell he is, gets into the role of Reapy Cheap. Sure. Um, and it's a shame he was limited by the constraints of, you know, this, the costume and stuff being what it is. But then there's some parts of it where the script, it's like, it's almost like there's a computer algorithm where you like dump, like take this book, convert to script, segment into 30 minute segments, four of them. And it's like, okay. You know, it's like, and then it's just like, like you can highlight, well, this, this key line, this key line, this key line. Um, Okay. On the boat. Boom. Cut. Walking across the beach. I, oh, I agree. Pirates. <laughs> I, I agree. Like the heart and adventure isn't, isn't quite there. And it does feel, I, I understand what you're talking about with the algorithm. And, it, and it's on and off. Like, like the bits with, uh, burn or or with gumpus are much more well done and more interesting than some of some of the other bits it's just kind of it's just kind of odd to me i I agree with you being on and off as well like i thought pug and i actually looked up the actor's name marcus ira that how you say it i thought he was great looked like he was having such a good time playing that role (laughs) blowed if i take less than 200 christians for him (laughs) so that's what you are kidnappers and slavers now now Easier you take it, the pleasanter all round, see? <laughs> I don't do this for fun. Got my living to make, same as anyone else. <laughs> my, my, the pug in my imagination is this dude. <laughs> yeah. And then there's Jonathan Scott as Edmund, who is... Okay. Um, I, I hate using the expression phoning it in, but I just think he is reading the line. Sophie's fine as Lucy. It's hard... Um, it's hard to, to judge David Thwaites as Eustace right now at this point in the series because he's not given a lot to do except just be a complaint machine. Right. Uh, unlike Sam West, who has a lot to do in this episode. He gets the the awe of will we find our science country. He gets to play a king. He gets to tell off Eustace. He gets to show fear. You know, He gets he gets yeah. to, oh, I beat his chest and be a king in front of Gumpus. He gets a lot of different things to do. There's also a disadvantage because like in the book, you, you get inside Eustace's head a lot. Yes. Oh, yeah. They, the first few paragraphs, they, intro, they introduce yeah. him. You're, you're you know? in his head. You're, you're, you're in his journaling. Whereas here, they're not. They cut and, all that out. Yeah, it's all gone. And this is like, yeah, he's not given a lot to do. He doesn't have a lot to work with. It's just kind of conveyed, oh, okay, yeah, he's, he's a little jerk. But... Um, I mean, I kind of like, I will say, I kind of like this Eustace of the visitors to Narnia crowd of actors. Um, mm-hmm. I've always liked this Eustace. I've always liked Peter. Uh, they've probably been my two favorites of the, the ones coming in. Jim fan, you've got, um, a note in here that talks about Caspian's innocence and curiosity. It's interesting. Um, I think we see it maybe a little bit more of that at this point Yeah. in the story. Like there's the bit when he's explaining the purpose of the voyage and he tells about the seven Lords. And then there's a transition to um, talking about Aslan's country and it's Caspian, not Reepicheep, like in the book, it's Caspian that says, yeah. you know, maybe we'll actually get to see Aslan's country. Aslan has always appeared from the East. Might we not on this voyage find him and greet him in his own land? That is my high hope, sire. Why not travel to the very edge of the Eastern world, into Aslan's own country? That is a thought. But do you think Aslan's country a sort of place that you can, well, just sail into? Yeah, I think the thing that I liked about BBC Caspian is that you don't get the sense that he's 
kind of all put together or scripted in a way like in, he does exude a feeling of this is great like we're going we're doing something cool we're gonna investigate things we're gonna you know and but but he's also like he he knows he, that he's a king and he knows how to handle things but i i i liked that a lot um because i think that's a little a, bit of naivete yeah, yeah a little a bit little. yeah 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 um yeah especially like when they like go to the lone islands and he's yeah. kind of like okay buddy like Mm, you you could have thought that one through a little bit more, but I'll give you a pass because you just think good of, you know, you just like assume everything's right. fine. It's like, no, everything's probably not fine. Which is consistent with the book where, where Lewis says right. something like, you know, if Caspian had been a, an older king or something like that, he wouldn't have, wouldn't have done this. I, yeah. I do like that. He does because the Caspian in the books roughly is supposed to be about 16 Unless I'm wrong for Voyage. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And this guy does a, he's obviously not 16, but he does a pretty good job, I think, playing the young, the very young king without it being, it doesn't seem like he's completely out of place or in another, like, oh, this guy's way too old or, or he's way too young. I, I think he does a pretty good job with how he plays Caspian in this. I too am Caspian, lawful king of Narnia, lord of Care Paravel, and emperor of the Lone Islands. Heaven, it is his father's very voice and trick of speech. My liege, your majesty, I am Lord Byrne. The monies your lordship paid for our person will be made good from the royal treasury. Sire, I have moved his sufficiency, the governor, a hundred times to crush this vile traffic in human flesh. Yes, we must talk of the state of these islands. This episode has one of my, really, as I look back, probably two favorite scenes in the, uh, maybe... There's probably three favorite scenes I have in this from memory. We'll see if they still are based on like as I rewatch them. But this one still had maybe what I thought was one of the best scenes. The scene with uh, where he confronts Governor Gumpus. And here's why: it's one because the BBCs are faithful to a fault, and I do mean faithful to a fault. Yes. <laughs> uh, but that's one of those scenes where it is almost lifted from the pages. I mean, if anything, they cut some things out. I don't know if there's a single line in that scene that's not in the book. But that scene works very well. Maybe it's a combination of like that scene fit into their style of editing well or the pacing or the acting. Um, but I just like how that scene was done. I thought it was like one of the more engrossing scenes and probably one of the better sho- showcases for his acting in the episode it's a great scene for an act i think as an actor that's the scene you want to play where what's really happening is you're really nervous and you're not sure are they gonna buy it that i'm not actually here with a fleet you know that i'm it's just pretty much just me here but you're trying to put on this you know i'm the king thing and put on that ridiculous armor i think it's i love the armor i think it's awesome (laughs) it's a little it's a little bright it's a little bright what's wrong with that (laughs) <laughs> now I, I agree it looks like plastic and when it, you can kind of hear it clinking around you can tell it's not metal but it's been a while since i had my Ewart oakshot book open for like like armor cards. there's some weird armors like in real history this one i mean i'm sure that it, i'm sure it's got something it's based on but it looks a little odd with the gap in the upper chest it, it, it looks almost like it's plate not completely covering cloth so i don't i know so you're wondering about the practicality of it I've never seen armor look quite like that. In the context <laughs> of the scene, I think it's like the the point you talked about it being shiny, Jim Fan, which I think there's a bit in the book that talks about like with that bright sunlight, it was very shiny. It's ornamental. Yeah, and I think it's Caspian's trying to come across as larger than life. He's it's all about the image of the king. That's the only way they're gonna get 
get through this. So I didn't really think about the practicality at all or what the des- does the design make sense or anything. I thought it was awesome. The Narnia books are, the costuming for these is actually, I think, pretty accurate to how I think Lewis envisioned it. If you look at how he describes the clothing, it's a lot more early Renaissance than it is, say, medieval. It's a lot of like bright colors, kind of plumy, you know, things they're wearing and things. I think, I think there is that bit in the book where it says that Edmund wore a dress. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's basically like, you know, everything's kind of, it's a little more decorative. You know, it's sort of like if you watch the uh, the movie Elizabeth oh, uh, yeah, yeah. with uh, Kate Blanchett, where she plays. They keep the uh, cost- those costumes are dead on accurate to the period. You're like, whoo, wow, those look. They look just as ridiculous now as they did like probably back then, but they're <laughs> accurate. Doggone it! Yeah, I thought pretty much everything with Caspian abolishing the slave trade was really good. I, I love when he's first um, kind of entering the city and he he gets off the the rowboat and starts walking around. I love they have this drum beat in the background. I don't know if Jeffrey Bergen had anything to do with that music, and I, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be diegetic music. But there's this drum beat going on. Oh, and big it's, word. Can you tell me what that means? Because it sounds like some like some kind of gastrointestinal issue. <laughs> diegetic music is music that the characters can hear, uh, as, opposed oh. to the, as opposed to the musical score, which is non-diegetic. Oh, something new every day. All right. Oh, same, um, same. <laughs> um, so you're hearing that drum beat. Both accomplices men, our first task is to get past them. This is one little drum beat, but it sounds very imposing, but it is just one drum, not a bunch of drums. I think it sets just the right tone for what Caspian is trying to do. He's just one little drum, but he's trying to come across as like big and imposing <laughs> and intimidating. And it just I just love the beat of the scene and I love Caspian shoving that guy out of the way and I like the pigs. Yeah. <laughs> he walks into across the field and the pigs scatter. <laughs> they do a good job with the humor of Caspian just trying to completely railroad over the top of Gumpus. I do think they got one detail wrong that would have made it funnier, which is in the book it talks about how in those days, so something like everyone in, in those days in the Lone Islands, everyone talked in a very slouching kind of way or something. And you imagine people in the Lone Islands, when I read the book, I imagine them saying, Oh, no meetings until nine and ten of the clock. You know, like barely looking up from their work and, you know, kind of mumbling everything. And here it's no interviews except until nine o'clock. And I think it would be, I think it's funnier to have them be just lost in bureaucracy. And here comes the king of Narnia. Um, so I think that would have been better. And even Gumpus, you know, is kind of shouting and loud. I think it would have been funnier if he was just a very understated, monotone bureaucrat to contrast with. With the uh, Caspian, I felt like because in my head, you know how you remember a scene, and then you like, and then you watch it again. Like, oh, that's different. In my head, they pick up Governor Gump, so they kind of like just toss him over the overturned table. And then as I watched, I thought, I think they did some editing magic because this actor looks very elderly. They probably couldn't do that. They didn't want to <laughs> deal with the stunt man, which would have been a way better way to do it. Instead of like lift him up and then like they're just kind of gently setting him down. That's funny. So yeah, I can't. Th- I think this does really work. That they get the humor and, and the tension. It's that mix of tension and humor that makes it so great in the book. Um, and I can't think of anything particularly wrong with it. I think it's 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 probably it's my probably my favorite scene in the BBC series uh, up to this point. Um, we'll see. I if would agree. Gets the throw. It's also yeah. the way that the way the set looks. It, it's perfect. I think, and that's something we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but with the exception of Prince Caspian, which I think 
was done the way it was because they basically just had to get through it in order to get to the what you know the, the better stuff they stories. really wanted to do yeah yeah i think i for me personally i feel like you can see an increase in quality and how they went about adapting things from just creatively yeah creatively from lion witch in the wardrobe prince caspian whatever but then don treader <laughs> and then you get to silver chair which is my personal favorite and i i don't, can't speak for you guys but i i just have like nothing but like really good memories about silver chair um and so it's just so cool to see how like they just kept getting better um so and with don treader you just i i don't know if it's maybe because there's like less talking beasts so we don't get pulled out of the story with so many like bowling ball beavers you know uh-huh. bowling pin beavers um I, maybe that's part of it i don't know <laughs> i never heard that before that's incredible that's awesome am i wrong though <laughs> I, I do think no i think that's it because what you're hitting on is you think about okay draw scenic iconic images from each book right you know the line that's the wardrobe and prince caspian have a lot of aslan talking animals which was hard for these to do right um whereas you get to silver chair and on treader you don't have nearly as much of that you have like hey ocean boom we can accomplish that Okay, rolling hills, scenery, cliffs, boom, we can accomplish that. So it's a little easier to capture the iconic moments from the books and scenes in those. I think part of it is technical, but I do think they also got... I think they just got better. Because that's why I think Lion, Lutz, the Wardrobe was better than Prince Caspian. Oh, a hundred times So So, so yeah. I, you can't completely say, oh, yeah, they just got better at it. I think that's part of it, yes, but I think that part of it also is maybe some heart. I mean, I think it was yeah. kind of interesting how everyone... It seems like everyone who comes to these books says, can we just do Don Treader? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like Andrew Adamson was trying to think, can we just skip Prince Caspian? How can we just get them on the boat? <laughs> <laughs> the, this this uh, episode also had one of my least favorite moments that I think I remembered from childhood and scarred me a little bit. So this, you were talking about how you said, oh yeah, I love his entrance to the islands and Gumpus and where he flees, frees the slaves. Okay, so I have to say, I love the parts like, I, like he comes into the islands with, you know, the show of force. I love the part with Gumpus. It's the best part of maybe the whole, maybe the best part in the whole voyage BBC adapt- adaptation. The part where he frees the slaves, the weird, like almost Monty Python style cheer from the crowd. Like, <laughs> hey, it's the Royal Holiday. Yay. <laughs> like if you watch it, it's so bad. Today is a day for rejoicing. The Lone Islands are returned peacefully to Narnia. I declare a public holiday. I noticed that too. I was like, these people are not real. <laughs> and that frustrated me because I thought that was just that was just bad drag. Like someone could have just gotten up in front of the crowd. Oh come on, people! <laughs> just act a little more excited. I don't know. One more and then lunch. Imagine you're at Wimbledon. Something. I don't know. <laughs> but if you unwrap it a little bit more, like. Would they actually have been excited? Because sounds like he just shut down like a big part of their economy. So I feel like people would be like, what the frick is going on? I'm not happy about this. And, there, and the book, there are mixed feelings. So maybe that's why there's a lackluster. <laughs> All right. So a few more things I want to make sure we touch on before we wrap up. Um, there is a really funny line that Colonel Clink mentioned. Um, I think it was in the face Talking Beast Facebook group. And it's, uh, I think Eustace has just been cured of his seasickness with Lucy's cordial. What do you think you're doing? Stuff is horrible. 
Stand there, gawping. Take me to the British Consul. To the what? Ignore him. There isn't one. Your world's beyond British jurisdiction. How uncivilized. <laughs> that this is a line that's not in the book, but I love the idea that maybe you just, it's just sunk in that I'm in another world. And instead of feeling awe or fear or wonder or confusion or all the things you might feel upon realizing you're in another world, his reaction is, how uncivilized. <laughs> and I thought that was lovely. Good job, David Thwaites. Good job, writers. Maybe I just missed that moment. I, that was one of my frustrations was I, I felt like the pacing was so... I like the pacing. I, I didn't. I, I feel like it's so... It doesn't let you linger very long. I understand they had to move it along for timing and stuff. It has to be exactly there for 30-minute slots. They can't go over 10 minutes, you know? But it was just harder for me to buy that Eustace, like, what's going through his head and, like, processing. Fair enough. Okay, I'm somewhere. or or And then finally, like you said, it's sinking in. Because I, 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 I'm not saying that the – I'm not disputing that it's there. I'm just saying it, it's there's not enough emphasis for me that uh, – I felt like I was missing some of that. I mean, it could be me as a fan of the book. I know Eustace. I remember those first few paragraphs of the book where it's introducing the character, and I'm projecting that onto on this adaptation here. That, that could be the case, but it did make me laugh regardless. Um, you know, Eustace, in the book, at this point, he really is just a complaint machine, and that's all that's going on. Just the difference is that in the book, we've had those several paragraphs of, oh, his parents were teetotalers and non-smokers and wore a special kind of underclothes, and Eustace liked beetles, so they were pinned on a card. So it's like the joke of the first, of the beginning of the book, part of it is, imagine this kind of person all of a sudden being thrust into another world. Yeah. So when Eustace is complaining... It's sort of the payoff of something Lewis set up earlier in the book. Whereas here, they don't have the setup; they just have the payoffs. Like, what if what if Eustace's introduction, like, is he's overhearing Lucy and Edmund talking in the other room, and he's like, it's a close up. He's pinning a beetle on a card, and then camera snaps back, and he's got like a hundred of them on his wall. You know, is it something like that? Where it's like it's not they're not limited by the technicality or the the visual effects at the time. Um, but some, sometimes there's little things like that where I think, oh, you, you, you could have done this better, but you didn't for whatever reason. So, yeah, as an, I think though, as a, um, just as a standalone ish episode, I think it's reasonably well paced. I think that at certainly this point in the story, I don't feel as much of a need to linger this part of the book or this story isn't really about the atmosphere. They linger enough. Like when, um, they explain the purpose of the quest and I think it's really pretty well done when you know caspian says what if we what why not could we possibly greet aslan in his own country um and then reaper cheap says you know recites the verse about where sky and water meet you know find all you seek uh there lies the utter east and there's this dissolve to a white shot of the dawn treader sailing east and you do have this moment to go mm -hmm. wow imagine what could be out there i think the episode does a decent job of saying this crew is going to encounter who knows what? And um, it hooks me a little bit to maybe want to watch the rest of the series. At least as a fan of the book, I can kind of project that onto it. But I think it does a decent job of, of setting that up. The last thing I'll mention is that it's interesting that there's a bit when they're explaining the purpose of the voyage where Edmund and Lucy wonder, I wonder why we're here. Which is not in the book, but is in the Walden version and this BBC version. It is after the Lone Islands that the real adventure begins. But why are we here? Did you call us? No, though I'm very glad you came. Perhaps someone else thought that we'd be useful on this quest. Aslan.
which is, I guess, supposed to be a setup for the end when Aslan says, here's why. So that by, here's why you were called here. It also goes to a change from the show to from the books. In the book, Dawn Treader takes place for the Pevensies about a year after Prince Caspian. Mm-hmm. Whereas for here, it's like tomorrow. This is like, like the next day. That's a good train point. Station. And then like, well, we got to go visit Cousin Eustace. Like they're unpacking. It might be the same day. That's they're a good unpacking. <laughs> and then they get sucked in like, oh, I wonder why we're here. He's three years old. Does, does this happen every weekend for them? Yeah. Like, it's like, <laughs> so it's almost, I, I don't know. I think in some ways, yes, that is a change from the books. But I think considering... The show, like if they're gonna make it, like it is, it might be the same day. Yeah, I think the, it actually is gonna be the same day. If they you even watch it they, like that. They, they even acknowledge that. No, Caspian, like yeah, Lucy like, says something like, "Oh, you look older," and Caspian's like, "You guys look just the same." <laughs> yeah, He's like yeah. you're literally the same, probably wearing the same clothes. Yeah, so I think that I think that makes more sense in that because like. Well, huh, this is quick. Yeah. So, but we'll see how I feel about the pacing in later episodes. This one, I um I thought it was you know. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is a little bit slow. Caspian is crazy fast. I thought this one found a decent medium, even though even though there are some things that are not in there that yeah. I wish they could have included yeah. somehow. But just Lion, as- the Wardrobe is like it's like every single line from the book will be in the movie. It's like okay, good job. Yeah, I think here we go. Yeah, I I don't like the pacing of this episode was fine for me. Um, yeah, I didn't have too many comments on it. I thought it was like. For an episode, and for one episode, they got quite a lot in, too. Yeah. And I think they spent time on the right things. Like, they could have rushed the, the, the slave trade stuff. That they could have done that so much faster. And they did take the time to let the jokes land. They could have cut out Gumpus if they'd wanted to. They could have just had him come in. Oh, just, you know, Pug runs these islands as a slaver, and he's the. And they, did, they could have just cut out Gumpus if they wanted to. Right. Okay, I keep remembering other things I want to mention before we sign off. Um, <laughs> I don't like Caspian when he's talking to Byrne. He lists like two or three of the lords and says, oh, I, I forget the others. Yeah, he's like, uh, well, he says, <laughs> I can get within six guesses. I know you are Byrne or, or, or. <laughs> uh, two guesses. Guys? Two guesses, maybe. I, so, so that is not a good moment. I take that back. That is not a good moment as far as pacing. Or they couldn't even mention all the lords' names. Do they even uh, name all the lords? I, I don't think they do. I don't think this episode is like, oh, there's uh, like, seven of them. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Which speaks to how much the story is not really about the lords. They're just the MacGuffin. So another not great moment for the pacing is the very, very end where, yay! everybody's cheers they abolished the slave trade hard cut to you know a few days later and we're on the store and Caspian literally says like now back to the Don Treader and on to the utter east boom here's, here's the, <laughs> yeah. the storm and, or maybe not maybe we should turn around maybe this is it's almost comical it's like now know, it's for like, the utter east oh bad idea we're in a storm <laughs> it's like again it's like a Monty Python moment now back to the Don Treader we sail onward ever east You know, the fake lightning. You know, I'm like, you couldn't have even like filmed real lightning and just, you know, cut away to have like a real lightning storm or something like one <laughs> night. But, uh, what, what did you guys think of the Dawn Treader ship? I liked it. I thought it looked like how I like, you know, it fits the bill as far as how I imagine it should look like. I think for me, I, I, it's weird because I'm trying to, on one hand, you can kind of judge it in a vacuum on its own merits. And you're kind of in the back of your mind. It's like a little, little guy pops up on your shoulder. Uh, uh, uh. This is the BBC version in the 1980s and 90s. You can't be that critical. I was surprised to watch it back and be like, oh, it actually looks like surprisingly good. 
And we, and we like the design of the ship, don't we? At least me and Jim do. I think mm-hmm. you do. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, in Walden. We like the Walden version. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like the Walden version a lot. It was the best thing about the movie. True dad. The, sorry, the BBC Don Treader is very understated, and the Walden Don Treader is, whoa! You know, they had a, a ball with it. Um, Maybe something in the middle, but um, I, I don't love the expression on the dragon's face. The dragon's kind of going... Uh. <laughs> the Walden version is like roaring, which is way cooler. Um, so yeah, I do agree. I, I actually, I, my memory is that oh, the Dawn Treader was pretty lame, but I actually kind of liked it. Uh, so episode one, a BBC is the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Um, Rillian, what are some overall thoughts uh, on this episode as a start to a mini series? I feel like there's elements of kind of the stiltedness of it, and then there's elements with real heart, namely from some of the actors uh, like Warwick Davis and, and Samuel West. And I, f- I guess there's parts of me that feel like it was held back, but maybe I'm being too, maybe I'm giving more of an overall judgment. You know, we haven't, haven't seen the other three episodes. So uh, I would say it's kind of an okay entry into the story. Um, it just feels kind of mixed because there's some things about it. I really like, and then there's some things that just, they feel, it felt like a checkbox. Like, okay, we need to check off this part and then check off this part. And we need to accomplish this as opposed to, as opposed to let's, let's really convey this part of the story. You know, how about you, Jim fan overall thoughts on episode one? I think that episode one, as I remember the rest of the Don Treader series, it's definitely not my, like my top episode, like I think there are other ones if I if I remember correctly because I haven't watched them yet, but I think I, I remember liking the other ones better. But it's still like it's Don Treader. To me, Don Treader is meant to be like an episodic story. It fits as a TV Netflix. Series. Are you listening? And <laughs> <laughs> it, it had a good like yeah. I just I mean I like the BBC Don Treader. It actually reminded me when I was when we started it and it started, you know, from like the picture frame and them going into it, it reminded me that like one of my earliest memories, honestly, is like, I feel like when I was super small, I must've been exposed to the BBC Don Treader because I remember like the picture on the wall with the ship that was moving. And this is from someone we did not have TV in our house growing up. We didn't have movies like I don't know where I was exposed to it, but I feel like I had to have been because like that is seared into my brain. So like that's like, I don't know. It just goes way back for me. So I really like it. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I, I uh, most of what you said, really, and I don't disagree with just as a what should a adaptation of the voyage of the Dawn Treader be? I mean, like, does this capture the key aspects of, of the book if you're looking at it that way? Um, and maybe even just as. A standalone, a standalone episode. Maybe it's not great, but like I, I, I agree with what you're saying. But just even with that knowledge kind of in my head, a, a funny thing happened as I was watching it. I found myself kind of enjoying myself and just being happy to be on this voyage. Um, so um, I would just say, just for me, at least as a Narnia fan, I thought, oh, this is this is kind of fun. Especially the slave trade stuff was great. What it kind of sums up the episode, maybe from their the creator's mindset. In the book, there's a line from C.S. Lewis where he basically says, after the, they visited the Lone Islands, they knew that this was the part of the event where the adventure would really begin. Uh-huh. And this first episode was, I think, to just 
set up the characters. That's re- re- Reaper Cheap that says that, right? It's after the Lone Islands, the adventure really yes, begins. Yes, it's Reaper Cheap that says that. And I think the creators kind of, in some ways, knew that this what this first episode would be, was it's going to set up who everyone is, it's going to kind of get the main plot elements in place, and then the, the rest real adventure is going to start after the first episode. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I'll go ahead and watch the next one. What do you guys say? Sure. Let's do it. Deal. <laughs> it's hooked me. I want to find out what happens. Uh, so we have mostly, I'm pretty proud of us. We've mostly avoided talking about Walden, at least in any depth. Um, so I think we've earned the right to go ahead and do that right now, to, co- to compare this first episode to the first part of the Walden movie. But I think let's save that for our post-show chat, which will be linked in the description if listeners want to listen to our comparison of this to the Walden version. Rillian, do you want to read the outro? Sounds good. You've been listening to Talking Beasts, the Narnia podcast from narniaweb.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and give us five stars on iTunes. Post a comment on narniaweb.com or in the Talking Beasts Facebook group. Visit patreon.com slash narniaweb to support this podcast and get exclusive content, including more episodes. You can also email us at glumpuddle at narniaweb.com, rillian at narniaweb.com, or jimfan at narniaweb.com. Until next time, further up and further in. Mm-hmm.